You're listening to the Cathedral Podcast. To learn more about Cathedral, like service times or how to get connected with a small group, visit wearecathedral.com. Today's message comes from Pastor Dave Ammons. You're still chewing? <laughs> Regina says she's still chewing. Hey, just so you know, Lindsay, who helps us out with service directing, had never had Cracklin' Oat Brand, was making fun of me, and I want you to watch her during the service because by the time I get done, that box is probably going to be empty and I'm going to be ticked. Don't eat my whole box now. It's good, isn't it? See, y'all don't know what you're missing, man. I'm going to tell you right now. Mmm. That's going to be good lunch right there. All right. Well, it's great to be here with you guys. Uh, we've been in a series. This is actually the last installment, uh, a series that we're um, doing on heaven. And you guys enjoyed this, the series on heaven? Yeah? Good, good. You guys have uh, done a lot of great questions. Um, after every service, we really have been littered with a bunch of different questions uh, that you guys have had. And I love that this has really piqued y'all's interest. And so here's what we're going to do today. What we're going to do today is I'm going to pretty much rattle off as many questions as I can. My hope is I can go through eight of them. Uh, if we get lost for time, I'll probably cut off one or two of them. But um, I'm going to give you short, concise answers. But let me give you this caveat up front. Uh, nobody in the room has been to heaven, right? Okay, so there's really only one account that we can take of what heaven is, and that's the Bible, right? So here's what I'm going to do is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lace you with a lot of scripture. Now, I don't have a lot of time to go through every single verse, but I will give you the reference. And I'm sure there's going to be some question up here that interests you more than others. And, and the same will be true with a lot of people. And so what I encourage is either write them down and you can do some research later or just simply take a picture of the screen. But I'll probably go too fast for you to do fill in the blanks and all that kind of different stuff. And so I'm just going to go through these questions. My hope is that it will give you a great picture uh, of heaven and maybe answer some questions that you had about it as well. So with that being said, let's go ahead and dive on in. The first question that I have for you this morning is this, and this is a question that I've, uh, I've been given about two or three times uh, during this service, but it's a very popular question online, and it's this. The first question I have for you, is heaven going to be boring? I'll get you up here. That was a great answer. Come on. She said no. No, heaven is not going to be boring, but let me paint a little picture for you. Uh, a guy named Don Piper wrote a book, and the book was titled 90 Minutes in Heaven. And I want to read you a quote, but before I do, let me just say this about a lot of the books that you're going to see on this topic. This topic of the afterlife, this topic, uh, there's a whole genre of books that are now being created of these near-death experiences or people who have died and gone to heaven, uh, and they write about their experiences. There's a lot of great books, but be careful, okay? Not, not all of them are good for you to read, okay? So just be careful when you do it. And, and what I'm saying about that is some of them just take too much liberty, okay? They, they don't back it scripturally. They don't back their experience scripturally, and it's just their opinion of what they can think or can, uh, can remember. But if they back it scripturally, man, go for it. Because for us here at this church, and you'll see the evidence of this all throughout the service, and it needs to be for all of these books, is that the Bible is the bar, it's the, it is the standard setter, uh, and so it needs to be backed by Scripture, because if it's not, then it's just our opinion, okay? But I want you to listen to his description of heaven, and this is based off of experience, and tell me if you think heaven is going to be boring. Here's what he says. 
As I try to explain heaven, my words seem weak and hardly adequate because I have to use earthly terms to refer to an unimaginable joy, unimaginable excitement, warmth, and total happiness. Everyone continually embraced me, touched me, spoke to me, laughed, and praised God. This seemed to go on for a long time, but I didn't tire of it. My father is one of 11 children, and some of his brothers and sisters had as many as 13 children. When I was a kid, our family reunion was so huge, we rented the entire city park in Monticello, Arkansas. We Pipers are affectionate with a lot of hugging and a lot of kissing whenever we come together. None of those earthly family reunions, however, prepared me for the sublime gathering of the saints that I experienced at the gates of heaven. Those who gathered in Monticello were some of the same people awaiting for me at the gates of heaven. Heaven was many things, but without a doubt, it was the greatest family reunion of all. Everything I experienced was like a first-class buffet for the senses. I had never felt so much powerful embraces or feasted my eyes on such beauty. Heaven's light and texture defy earthly eyes and explanation. Warm, radiant light engulfs me. As I look around, I could hardly grasp the vivid, dazzling colors. Every hue and tint surpassed anything that I've ever seen with all of my heightened awareness of my senses. I felt as if I had never seen, never heard, or never felt anything so real before. Never in my happiest moments had I ever felt so fully alive. Does that sound like a boring place to you guys? No, absolutely not. Now let me balance that off because you have to understand something. This process, this verse that we talk a lot about in church, you've read a lot about, it's one of the verses that you probably memorized, it's this, it's John 10, 10, and what does the thief come to do? Steal, kill, and destroy. Now, Satan is the one who has relentlessly worked all throughout the generations to destroy what we know about heaven. He's deceived millions of people into thinking that heaven is going to be the longest, most boring church service that you have ever been to in your life, and it's going to go on for all of eternity. Okay? On the flip side, he's convinced all of society that hell, if you look through society, hell gets portrayed as this, this fun party with people hanging out, being mischievous with absolutely no consequences. And honestly, this was some of the motivating factor to really do a series like this, which is I wanted to make sure that every single one of us had this understanding of the realness of heaven and the truth about heaven. You see, because the more that we understand about heaven, the more motivated you and I become to get our friends, our family, and the people that we meet to go there with us. Let me reverse that. Because this is true as well, and sometimes I'm going to bring a message to you about this topic. But the more that we understand hell, the more motivated we are to get as many people not to go there. And I know that's dark, I know it's hard to think about that, but that, that is the reality that we have at hand. And either all of eternity you are going to spend in heaven, or, or you are going to spend it in hell. There's no other options. It's a big deal. 
You see, the greatest thing about heaven is going to be the fellowship of believers being together. And even greater than that is going to be the fellowship that we have with God Almighty up in heaven. You see, the worst thing about hell is that there is no party. You will never talk to somebody. You will never see anyone. It is complete darkness. You will never experience the goodness or the presence of God for all of eternity. That's real. And, 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 and you guys can feel it in the room right now. I mean, it's complete silence because when you, when, you, when you put them side by side, you really see the gravity of what we're talking about at hand. And you can see how in society, we've really jacked this thing up to give hell way more credit than it really needs. It is a scary place, y'all, that we do not want to go. However, heaven that has been downplayed so much on this earth, oh man, it is going to be unreal, y'all. It is going to be absolutely amazing. It's going to be a place that has never-ending excitement, never-ending exploration. Work will continue. Unbelievable creativity will be expressed. You see, in heaven, the gifts that God has given you and I will continue. They won't be lost. They won't be lost to age or they won't be lost to death. They won't be lost to pettiness or jealousy within other people. They won't be lost to envy or insecurities that you and I have that prevent us from really walking into the fullness of our gifts. They won't even stop at our inabilities anymore. Our gifts up in heaven will come fully alive. The picture that I want to paint for you on this is imagine Einstein. He's one of our most prolific scientific minds of our day, and he's only working with a percentage on this earth. Can you imagine when his gift is fully alive up in heaven, the discoveries that he's going to make, because he'll understand more. It's not going to stop when we go to heaven. It's going to be enhanced when we go to heaven. Our gifts will come fully alive because sin will no longer be able to rob or diminish our gifts and personalities that we have. Mankind will create, it will innovate, it'll discover, it'll produce at unprecedented levels, and all of it will be done in perfect form. All of it will be done bringing glory to God when we do it. It will be unreal. Is heaven going to be boring? No, it's not going to be boring. Question number two that I have for you is, and this is a popular one, man, we get this I got this question more so than wondering if their, their relatives are going to be in heaven. Not to say that y'all care, don't care about your relatives, but y'all definitely care about y'all's animals. Man, the biggest question we get is, are animals going to be in heaven? In fact, one of our uh, staff members, uh, we, were going, we, were, we were talking about uh, a bunch of the different questions, and <laughs> of all the questions that we're going to tackle today, she goes, Dave, can you just tell me, if, is my dog going to be in heaven? And, you know, I didn't want to give too much away, but this answer popped in my head. I don't know that it's theologically correct, but it was the answer that I gave. Is I said, hey, if you want to make sure that your animal, that your dog, that precious little dog of yours goes to heaven, just make sure he goes before the age of accountability. <laughs> that was wrong. I, I, I don't condone... I don't condone that, but if you want to be sure, I'm just saying, just put it, I'm just kidding. Scratch that from the YouTube, cancel that, whatever. Don't get me in trouble. All right, here we go. 
our animal's going to be in heaven. I, th I think if you walk by Meg's mansion in heaven, you're going to see all 412 animals that she's nursed back to health. What's the, what's the squirrel that she loves so much? Trevor. Trevor, yeah. I'm sure Trevor's going to be there. Maybe he's there already. We're not sure. Not exactly sure. If you walk by my mansion, I mean, I guess there's going to be animals. I, I, I already have enough to take care of. I just, you know, it's not one of those things that I really am, you know, I don't give a lot of thought. Now, there was this one animal. I will say this is when I was dating Macy in high school, Pastor Mike and Miss Dean, who are the founding pastors of this church, um, they had a, uh, a Dotson. Any Dotson lovers? Any couple? Yeah. This dog was awesome. Uh, she loved me. Oh, you got a picture? Yay! That's Tata. She looks like a Tata, doesn't she? Me and Tata, man we, man, we had some hours together. I mean, everybody was chopped liver whenever I came in the door on that dog. That dog was awesome. Actually, that picture was taken right before she hopefully went to heaven <laughs> uh, on the back porch together. Now, we prayed a lot for Tata because um, she became possessed anytime food was around. So we're not exactly sure that she made it to heaven, um, but we prayed a lot. Hopefully they were there. In fact, if she makes it to heaven, maybe... Maybe that'll be her glorified body. I'm not exactly sure, but we'll see anyways. But let me give you some interesting thoughts biblically around this whole topic uh, of animals being in heaven. I'm going to start back at the beginning. This is Genesis chapter 1, verse 20 through 25. But this is where we see that God created animals on the original earth. You see, the new earth, the new heavens are going to be a restoration, a glorification of the original earth and the original heaven, okay? So therefore, I think it would be reasonable to conclude that there will be animals on the new earth. Romans 8 paints a picture that's very similar. It says that mankind and animals and all creation are linked together, not only in the curse and judgment, but also in the blessing and deliverance. Together, they will experience this life on the new earth. Another hint of this is in Genesis chapter 7. This is post-flood, right? And God preserved the animals through the flood to fill the post-flood world. Obviously, we're seeing a pattern here of the importance of animals in God's mind. In his description of the new heaven and new earth, this is Isaiah chapter 65, verse 17. Isaiah, talking about the new earth, prophesied that there would be animals, including Wolves, lambs, lions, oxen, and snakes. Now, I don't hear dogs in there. So, well, I mean, wolves are kind of in that. Okay, we're safe. I think we're safe on that. Yeah, I think cats are 100% not in that list. So, sorry if you're a cat lover, but I don't see them on here. We'll see what happens. <laughs> y'all are having fun with this. This is great. All right, Randy Alcorn said this about the topic. He wrote a whole book on heaven. I encourage you to pick it up. It's a great read. But he had an interesting correlation as it pertains to animals that I want to give you. It's a really, really interesting thought. Adam, Noah, and Jesus are the three heads of the three earths, okay? Adam being the beginning, Noah post-flood, Jesus uh, in this next one to come, okay? Those are the three heads. When Adam was created, God surrounded him with, what was his first job? To name the, okay. When Noah was delivered from the flood, God surrounded him with? When Jesus was born, where was he born? God surrounded him with? Okay, here's his question. When Jesus establishes the renewed earth with renewed men and women, don't you think he'll surround himself with renewed animals? Pretty interesting thought, isn't it? All right, question number three. Is can people sin in heaven? Pretty interesting, isn't it? 
Here's the verse I'm going to give to you. This is Romans, or Revelation chapter 21, verse 4. It says, Christ promises this on the new earth, that there will be no more death, no more mourning, no crying or pain, because the old order of things has passed away. Since the wages of sin are what? Death. The promise of no more death is also a promise of no more sin. Does that make sense? Okay, if you can never die, there's no sin in the process because sinners always die. And I want you to think about sin in general. I mean, if you take that verse that we just read, no more crying, no more pain, no more sorrow, all those different things, what does sin do in our life? Sin causes mourning. Sin causes pain. Sin causes crying. If those will never occur in heaven, that means that sin can also never occur. Okay, well, Dave, does that just mean we're a bunch of robots up in heaven? Okay, is free choice gone? Is that no more? Let me give you this thought. The capacity to choose, which, which God has placed on the inside of us, is what makes us human. Okay, God gives us the option to choose him. We have this entire lifetime on this earth to choose him or to deny him. Okay, he gives us that free choice. God has put that in, in, on the inside. And I think it's hard to believe that God would be pleased with our worship up in heaven if we had no choice but to offer it. It's one thing for him to enable us to worship. It's another thing for him to force us to do so and to make it automatic or involuntary. You see, because Scripture says that Christ woos his bride. He doesn't fix her so that way you have no choice in the matter but to love him. I mean, imagine a husband who, who, who wants his wife to love him. And to ensure this love, he injects her with some kind of chemical that she has no choice in the matter but to love her. It removes this whole process of free will to make her love him. Is that love? No, that's coercion. Okay. Once we become what God intended us to be, the, the original design of what God created for humans, we will see him as he is. The, the fullness of who he is, the perfection of who he is, and we'll see perfectly what sin really is as well. God won't need to restrain us from sin. Sin will have absolutely no appeal. We'll see it for what it is, and no longer will we just long to do it. Now, is, is sin on this earth pleasurable? Do we? Y'all can say yes. It's okay. I know it sounds weird to say yes to sin, but I mean, it's why we do it, right? right? In the moment, it feels good, does it not? Okay. It really is okay to say it. <laughs> is sin okay in the moment? Does it feel good in the moment? Okay. But the wages of sin is what? Okay, when we see sin for what it is, you won't want it. You won't long for it. It won't even be an option. The inability to sin inherently does not violate me and your free will. You see, my inability to be God right now, as much as I would want to be God or whatever the case may be, if I wanted to be Michael Jordan, right? If I wanted to be a tiger, or nowadays if I wanted to decide I'm a woman today, okay, right? That's the, those are the options on the table, right? Okay? That doesn't violate my free will. It's simply the nature of who I am. I am a man and I am Dave. God created me as Dave. 
I can't be God. I can't be Michael Jordan. I can't be a tiger. I cannot be a woman. Doesn't matter. It is my nature. The new nature that is ours in heaven, surrounded by the righteousness of Christ, which is something that we can't fathom, the best I think we can do is when you are in the best position with God that you've ever been in your life. Maybe if you go back to a worship moment and God, you are just on fire and you'll never forget that feeling, right? Anybody had, anybody had something like that where you're just so close to God, like nothing can go wrong in the world? I think that's about the closest you can get. But understanding this righteousness, that will be always and forever when we're in heaven. That nature cannot sin any more than a diamond can be soft and brittle and some other color. It just, it's the nature of it, okay? So we can't sin inside, okay? Question number four. Is there marriage in heaven? Is there marriage in heaven? Some of y'all might be thinking, well, I thought they said till death do us part. This thing lasts for eternity? I didn't say that. I didn't, it just looks straight ahead. Do not look at your wife at that, I mean... In fact, somebody told me that Mr. Mike uh, last weekend mentioned that he, he was excited about talking about this. Like, is there going to be marriage in heaven? Are we going to have sex in heaven? That kind of stuff. And to that, I will say the Bible does say that there's the renewal of all things. I'm going to leave it at that and just, let's just see what Pastor Mike says about the sex question, all right? <laughs> now, to answer that, the answer is yes, but not to each other. Okay? Now, and I don't want you to be mistaken. You and your spouse will know each other in heaven. In fact, you're going to know your spouse in heaven more than you ever thought knowing about that individual here on earth. Okay? You're going to love better. You're going to be more pure in your intentions and your desires. Your relationship is going to be deeper. It's going to be stronger than it ever was here on earth, especially with your spouse. Relationships are a major part of heaven, and they're going to be way better up there. In fact, let me say it this way as it pertains to your spouse. You are finally going to understand your spouse for the first time. And you're going to say things like, oh my gosh, you were crazy intelligent. I just couldn't figure it out on earth. Y'all can laugh, it's okay. But relationships will be recognized in heaven in the same way that God gave Eve to Adam. What did he say? It's not good for you to be alone. He gave Adam Eve. Okay? But you won't be married in heaven in the same sense that you're married here on earth. Some of y'all are very happy about that. Others of y'all, not so much. But here's what Jesus said. Luke chapter 20. In heaven, they neither marry or are given in marriage. Okay, so are you married in heaven? Yes, just not to each other, but to Jesus. We are the bride of Christ, and this ultimate marriage of Christ and his church for the first time will be fully realized. And, and, and don't think of that as a less than. It's going to be better than you and I can ever possibly imagine, Okay. It'll be great. Relationships continue in heaven. And I have no doubt that me and Macy are going to be best friends up in heaven, exploring all the great things that he has for us in store, worshiping God like crazy and doing it all, right? Relationships will continue in heaven. All right, question number five. This one was a little bit more for me because I personally feel like I'm really, really good at this. It's kind of like a sport. 
Um, I feel like it's one of the gifts that God has given me, but is this. Here's the question. Will we eat and drink in heaven? Yes, Cracklin' Oprah will be up there, my girl. Mm-hmm. And your taste buds will be renewed and actually get the glory of it, okay? <laughs> All right, here's what we got on eating and drinking in heaven, okay? The context of eating, drinking, and having meals, literally we see in the Bible thousands of times, okay? In fact, the word feast is mentioned 187 times throughout Scripture. And I want you to think about this process of what happens over a meal. What happens when we're feasting together on Thanksgivings and Christmases? Great conversations happen, do they not? Okay? Relationships a lot of times are formed and built over meals. Right? Healing can happen over a meal. Love is on display every step of the way, from the making of the meal, the eating of the meal, and certainly love is on display when you're cleaning up the meal, right? <laughs> Jesus said this in Luke chapter 22. He says, I confer on you a kingdom just as my Father conferred on me so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. That sounds like we have a table at the best restaurant with the best food with the best dude. Okay? Here's some interesting verses for you to think on just to build the case for this. In Psalms 78, verse 25, it, manna is referred to as the bread of angels. Genesis 18, when angels got themselves, when they took on human form, they ate human food. You can read it. In the present heaven is this tree of life from which God says overcomers may eat. That's Revelation chapter 2, verse 7. Only two people on this earth have ever lived before the fall. That means only two people have ever eaten food at its best with taste buds that are at its ultimate ability, right? To, to, to be able to taste the best. When you read scripture, you'll see that, that, that process of when Jesus turned water into wine. The great wine that Christ made and served to the people at the wedding of Cana is a sample of the best wine that will be provided on the new earth. Did you know that scripture is actually filled with more feasts than there are fasts? You know, every year we do 21 days of prayer at the beginning of the year, right? Biblically, I think there might be a mandate here. I'll research it. But instead of doing praying and fasting, maybe in the fall we can do praying and feasting. <laughs> There's some glory on this, I think, right? I mean, y'all pray about it. See what you think. Let me know. Email me. But we can pray and fast in the beginning of the year, set it off right, and we can do some praying and feasting as we get close to Thanksgiving. Can we not? There's something there. I'm going to keep researching it. But who created our taste buds? I mean, the food that we eat is from God's hand. Our resurrected bodies will have resurrected taste buds. We can, we can trust that the food in heaven, some of it will be familiar, some of it brand new, but it's going to taste better than anything that we've ever had here before. But if you think about food, food isn't just functional, right? I mean, if it was just functional, we could just throw whatever we want, regardless of the color, regardless of the taste, throw it in a blender, and we'll just chug it down, right? No, that's not the purpose that it serves now. Food is also for our enjoyment, not only in its consumption, but also in the preparation, the presentation. So shouldn't we expect boundless creativity in heaven as well around food? Listen to what John Calvin wrote about this topic. It says, if we consider to what end God created foods, we shall find that he wished not only to provide for our necessities, 
but also for our pleasure and recreation. With herbs, trees, and fruits, besides the various uses that he gives us of them, it was his will to rejoice our sight by their beauty and to give us yet another pleasure in their odors. You see, we don't need fine meals. We don't need to go to the finest restaurants in Charleston, right? Because we don't need them now. I mean, we can get what we need, but yet we still enjoy them. And we'll enjoy them now for the same reasons we're going to enjoy them then. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, because God made us to enjoy them and to glorify Him as we eat and drink. There's, there's a reason why we pray before every meal. It stems out of verses like this, that everything we do when we are in heaven, everything will bring God glory, including eating and drinking. Even uh, Jesus, Jesus stated this in Mark chapter 14. He says, truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in the kingdom of God. The resurrected Jesus, remember Jesus went down to hell, kicked Satan's butt, took the keys to death, hell, and the grave, right? He comes back to earth in his resurrected body, in his glorious body, one that we will emulate. And here's what we see is that the resurrected Jesus physically ate. Luke chapter 24, verse 42 through 43, they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and he ate before them. So at the very least, we're going to have some fish and chips up in heaven. Okay, this is his first meal. First meal out the gates, he's having fish and chips, okay? Again, in John chapter 21, we see Jesus is eating in his resurrected body. Revelation chapter 19 states this, Blessed are those who are invited into the marriage supper of the Lamb. What do you do at a supper? You eat. People eat at a marriage supper, and so I think it's reasonable to accept this, that that is going to be a celebration on a scale that is so massive, earth can't even grasp the concept of how big of a party Jesus throws, okay? And yes, I am sure that that celebration will have food involved with it with Jesus himself, okay? Question number six, will we be able to fly in heaven? That was just a fun one. I could not put it in here, right? Who wants to know if we fly in heaven? I'm going to talk to you, because nobody else wants to know. Nobody else wants to know we fly in heaven? Come on, there we go. That was a fun, right? All right, here we go. This is Psalms chapter 90, verse 10. Each of us lives 70 years, or even 80 if we're in good health. But the best of them bring trouble and misery. Indeed, they are soon gone, and we... Okay, it's a very loose connection. Very, very loose connection. But let me build a case for you, okay? When Christ return, both the dead who will be resurrected at that time, that's 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16, okay? And the living which will be changed and given glorified bodies, 1 Corinthians 15, 52, okay? We will meet the Lord in the air. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know how else to meet the Lord in the air without doing some flying, I'm personally excited about it. I think I'm going to be a great flyer, okay? In the resurrection, on the new earth, in heaven, we will be made as and equal to the angels. That's Matthew chapter 22, verse 30, and Luke 20, verse 36. Let me, let me just let you know, I'm giving you all these verses because I want to make sure you understand I'm not making this stuff up. I'm not that smart, and I've never been to heaven. The only bar that I have is Scripture. 
And so that's why I'm giving you all these. I want to make sure you know without a shadow of a doubt, I'm not making this stuff up. Do your own homework if you want, okay? So if we're going to be like angels, let's figure out a little bit of what angels do. Can angels fly? Yeah, put the verses up there. Take a picture of it. You can look at it later. There's a bunch of verses that talk about angels flying. Psalms chapter 103, they excel in strength. Therefore, it is certainly possible that I think we can fly like them. Okay, let's take Jesus, for example. Jesus' resurrected body. Remember, he went down to hell, kicked Satan's butt, came back. He's resurrected, walking around on this earth for a little while. He had supernatural capabilities such as being able to move through closed doors and closed walls. That's John chapter 20, verse 19 and verse 26. He also had the ability to levitate from earth up to heaven when he went back up to heaven, which by my definition, I believe is flying. <laughs> Call it what you want. I don't care, but he's moving through air. <laughs> Philippians chapter 3, verse 21 and 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 says that our bodies will be made like unto his, talking about Jesus, his glorious body. A lot of y'all should say a good amen on that one. Amen. Therefore, it is certainly possible that we'll be able to fly. I don't think it's unreasonable to think, you know, if, if you came to the second week, we talked about traveling at the speed of light, okay? I don't think it's unreasonable to think that we'll actually be able to move faster than that. I think we'll actually be, now let, let me do a clear distinction this is not scripture. This is Dave Ammons just having fun thinking. Okay, and I encourage you to do the same thing. But I, I think we'll actually travel at the speed of thought. And I think when we get to heaven, we'll be able to see things that the Hubble telescope only dreamed of being able to discover. Okay, I think it's going to be so much fun. It's not going to be able to grasp our minds here on this earth. All right, question number seven. Y'all doing okay? Good. All right, how old will we be in heaven? Good question, right? Theologians disagree on this massively, right? Okay, a lot of theologians think that we're going to be 33 because Jesus was 33 when, or at least they believe he was 33 when he went up to heaven, okay? I don't know that I really prescribe to that just because, I don't know, I don't think that we're all going to be the same age up there. Okay, here's what scripture does say, though. It says that we will have renewed bodies, glorious bodies. And when I read that, that means that our bodies will be at their peak in heaven, Right? Is anybody at their peak right now? Okay, I don't see. I've oh, got one hand. Well, I mean, you're doing pretty good, right? I mean, so that might be it in heaven, right? I mean, you're happy with that. Okay. You know, people are peaks at different ages. Right? If you look at athletes, they could be at their peak at 21, or you could be at your peak at 30. Okay? And so I think just Scripture does say that we are created in his image. Do we all look the same? No, but yet we're created in his image. And so I do think there's going to be some variations. Scripture's not exactly clear on that. Um, but I do think that God probably laughs every single time that he hears this question because he's like, you do realize we're talking about eternity. Does it really matter if you're 21 or 27? Right? And at the end of the day, you got to think about it. It's eternity. Like, that's a long time, right? <laughs> like, is age really a thing? It's like, it's like such an earthly question. Like, we're so concerned about our age here on earth and that it transformed. But I will say this. Adam and Eve, they had an apparent age, right, when they were created. We'll have an apparent age. What that exact age is, I do not know. Uh, but I just imagine that we will be at our peak. Okay, here's the last question I have for you, okay? Last question I have. How do eternal rewards work in heaven? How do eternal rewards work in heaven? 
Now, before I answer this, let me give you this verse. This is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. It says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself. It is a gift from God, not by works, so that no one could boast. This reward system, I want to be very clear, has nothing to do with your salvation. There's only one way that we receive salvation. It's by believing in Jesus Christ and that he died on the cross for our sins and he rose again on the third day. That's it. Every single one of us, there's not, nothing that we can do. There's nothing we can do to earn it. There's no amount of works that we can do. That has nothing to do with this equation. Salvation is the only way to heaven. Now, once that is settled and we get up there, the Bible is very clear that there is a reward system, right? So let's take a look at those. Psalm 62 says this in verse 12. It says, And with you, Lord, is unfailing love, and you reward everyone according to what they have done. Okay, so let's take a look at what is God's reward system for us up in heaven. I found five of them. I'm sure there's more that are discussed. Um, but if you, if you want to read more on this, uh, there's a guy named Erwin Lutzer. He wrote a book called Your Eternal Reward. It's a fantastic read. I definitely encourage it. He mentions these five crowns. I'm going to give them to you quickly. The first crown that we will be rewarded up in heaven is called the incorruptible crown, also called the victor's crown, if you're used to that song. It's an award for self-control and having victory over the flesh. This comes out of 1 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, verse 24 and verse 25. Every single one of those times that you're in uh, by yourself and you win the victory over your flesh, there's an award in heaven for you for making that decision. It seems so hard in the moment, but clearly it states in Scripture that every single time we make those decisions, there is a crown that awaits you and I in heaven for winning. Don't ever grow weary in doing what is right. It's an award in heaven for you. Number two is the crown of rejoicing. This is awarded for fruitful labor for the Lord in the lives of others. This is 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19, also called the soul winner's crown. And it's this is... Uh, in basic terms, is winning people for the kingdom of God, okay? Every single time that you sow a seed into somebody's life, I think we're going to be shocked when we get up in heaven, and you go, oh my goodness, I had no idea that conversation that we had at 1230 at night in college dorms, I had no idea it would lead you to the kingdom of God. And I think when we get to this judgment seat, this is the judgment seat of Christ, it's called, in, in scripture it's called the Bema seat, and, and don't think of judgment like a bad thing. This is a, basically an accolade, award ceremony for all the things that you've done. In I think he's going to roll out a list of, oh my goodness, I had no idea I had that kind of impact. When you do that, uh, and when you have people sitting here next with you on, on the weekends, and they raise their hand, all those different things, you will receive the crown of life, or the crown of rejoicing. And heaven. Number three is this, is the crown of life. And this is those who have persevered, endured trials, and even faced death, and yet still remain faithful. Interesting enough, my, my son Baylor this past week is learning about perseverance in, in school. And one of the questions that the teacher asked is, you need to name an area of your life that you are persevering, and why are you persevering? And so I got interested. I said, Baylor, what would you think? that? Why are you persevering? Uh, what, are you, what are you persevering in life right now? He goes, Dad, every morning to wake up for school. <laughs> I was like, that's a great answer, man. Put it on the test, see what your teacher says. <laughs> but this is, this is for those who remain faithful. This is James chapter 1 and Revolution, Revelation chapter 2. There was a girl who, who comes here, and I heard about her story a while back. Uh, but every single weekend, her family would make fun of her for coming to church. 
She would come home and they would make fun of her. There's a crown in heaven when she gets up there for her perseverance. Doesn't matter how much your family, of all people to make fun of you here on this earth, your family. But yet she's remained faithful, and kudos to her for doing that. Number four is the crown of glory, and this is for those of us who have shepherd intended to the flock and yearn to see them grow. This is 1 Peter 5, verse 4. They have the heart of Christ. This is the discipleship at its core. This is every one of you guys who have a heart for small groups and leading small groups. Um, salvation is a major part of the equation, but it doesn't just stop there because who wants to follow a miserable Christian? Nobody. Discipleship is where this whole thing of where we understand, man, there is undescribable joy when somebody looks at you and says, I don't know what you have, but you're too happy for this earth. I want what you have. Well, that's because of a relationship with God and people pouring into you. And when we do that, it will be awarded up in heaven. That's the crown of glory. The last one is this, is the crown of righteousness. The crown of righteousness. And this is for those of us who radiate Christ's life in all that they do. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. They live his life, they do his will, and they love God and who he is. Don't ever grow weary in chasing after God, in doing his will, seeking his face, every day waking up and saying, God, how can I grow closer to you? How can I represent the character of who you are? How can I have the love and the joy and the peace and the patience and the kindness and the all those things? Every day I want to grow a little bit more. The more that we do that, know that when one day we get up in heaven and God will look at you and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Oh, let me tell you all the things that I saw you do on that earth. You see, we get one lifetime to make a decision. We get one lifetime to set up for all of eternity. Okay? And I think we have a good picture of what this Bema seat is, what this judgment seat is, and what's going to happen, and what's going to be rewarded. And so I think it makes sense for us to say that once we have this understanding that this becomes the goal for every single one of us that we should strive to obtain, not just to get one, but to get as many crowns as we possibly can. And I think the thing that I love about God is he's such a personal God. We do this with our children. We try to give these award, rewards uh, for their behavior. And I think it's so neat that our Father up in heaven has the same exact thing. He says, hey, I want to give you, I want to show you this tangible thing, this tangible expression of showing us and telling us, hey, good job. So I just want you to know that every single time you sow a seed, every single time we speak to somebody to show them the love of Christ, every deed we do is banked with God, and one day we will stand before him and hear those amazing words of good job. Here's the reward for all your fruit-bearing work. Amen? Amen? Last verse for you, and let me pray for you. Luke 6.22 says this, What a blessing awaits you when, when people hate you and exclude you. They mock you, they curse you as evil because you follow the Son of Man. When that happens, be happy. All this persecution. When that happens, be happy. Yes, you heard it right. Leap for joy, for a great reward awaits you in heaven. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this wonderful day. Lord, thank you for this series that we've been able to uh, just explore, man, eternity. Lord, you care about us so much that you've set up a place. Man, it's unimaginable. So much joy, so much excitement. Father, would you just bless this church now, every person here in this room, every person joining us online. 
Father, would we take these messages and the more that we hear about heaven, would you motivate us? Would there be a special anointing on this house of motivation? Now that we understand heaven that says, God, I want to get as many people into the kingdom of God. God, could you use me? God, could you give me opportunities to be around people? Get, I want them to see your joy. I want to get an opportunity where I can sow a seed. Father, I don't want anybody to go to hell. Father, would you sear that on the inside of us? And Father, would you use every single person in this room, Father, even this week, just to, just to showcase the goodness of who you are and to show us that you're real, to show us that you hear even the messages that are being spoken in churches across this entire world. Father, would you give everybody who hears my voice an opportunity this week where we can just showcase who you are? Maybe you give us an, an opportunity to invite someone to sit right next to us. Maybe you give us an opportunity to encourage somebody going through a tough time. Maybe you give us an opportunity to pray for someone who just needs your life and your encouragement. Father, I don't know how it is that you want to do it, but would you just give us that opportunity? Father, we want to make heaven crowded. Father, thank you for what you do in our lives. But we know that even though we have all these reward systems that you've set in place, your, your scripture says these words, that even those crowns will lay at your feet. God, we get to spend eternity with you in heaven, and I appreciate the heart of you, God. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. amen. Hope you guys enjoyed this series on heaven. Hope it give you a better picture, and I look forward for you guys to join us next week. You've been listening to the Cathedral Podcast. If you were encouraged by today's message, leave us a rating and hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have any questions about today's message or just want to reach out, send an email to questions at cathedralemail.com. Thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Have a blessed week.